0: If we have a perfect God, and we are imperfect people, then there has to be some tension. And it doesn't have to be a bad tension. In fact, I think it's a tension that God wants us to notice. In the Old Testament, for example, you see this tension in how God designs the temple and then the practices in the temple for the nation of Israel. And some of you are reading this in your Bible reading plans right now, and you're going, oh, what do I, do I really have to read all this? What is all this about? And so thank you for, for reading through that. But if you read and dig in, uh, the temple has three parts. There's the outer court, there's the inner court, and then there's the holy of holies. And the Holy of Holies was completely surrounded by a thick veil, and inside it was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, we're told, was the mercy seat where the presence or the dwelling of God's glory existed. And as the Old Testament describes it for us, this was a dangerous place. In Leviticus 6, for example, God is telling Moses what Aaron should do in this place, and he essentially says, If you come near the mercy seat, make sure there's lots of incense and smoke in the air because I appear in the cloud over the mercy seat and I don't want you to die. You see, only one person on one day of the year was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies and that was the high priest of Israel on the Day of Atonement, also called Yom Kippur. I believe that this tension between a holy God and people, this this perfect righteous God and and the imperfect unholy people, was illustrated most clearly on this day of atonement in the Old Testament. And I say this because there was an enormous amount of preparation that took place. If you study it uh, a week beforehand, the high priest is put into seclusion. He's taken away from his home and he's put in a place where he's completely alone. Why? So that he wouldn't accidentally touch something or eat anything unclean. In fact, clean food was brought in to him. And then he would wash his body and prepare his heart. And the night before the Day of Atonement, uh, the priest did not go to bed. He stayed up all night praying and reading God's Word to prepare his heart. Um, He'd wash his body, he'd prepare his heart purify a soul. Then on Yom Kippur he bathed head to toe and dressed in pure unstained white linen. then he goes into the holy of holies and he offers an animal sacrifice to God to atone or to pay the penalty for his own sins. but it doesn't stop there. After that he comes out, And he bathes completely again, and new white linens are put on him, and he goes in again, and this time he sacrifices for the sins of the priests. But that's not all. He would come out a third time, and he's bathed again from head to toe, and he's dressed again in brand new pure linen, and he goes into the Holy of Holies, and he atones this time for the sins of all the people. So, it's clear that God wants the people of Israel to know by the sacrifices and these cleaning rituals that he is holy and clean and they are not holy and unclean before him. And in our text this morning, uh, Jesus has an argument with the religious leaders over the cleanliness laws and the dietary laws, these regulations that had to do with the ritual purity. And uh, many in our day would want to dismiss these categories of holy and unholy or clean and unclean. They would say those are outdated ideas. They would tell us that people are essentially good and that these ancient customs are outdated. And since we no longer perform the customs of sacrifices or cleaning rituals in our day, obviously it would be easy for us to believe that. But our text this morning is going to remind us that though the practices and the cultures may change, the Bible remains profoundly relevant in any culture and in any century. We'll come back to this Day of Atonement, so don't don't forget about that totally. We'll come back to this later on. But first, let's get into our text and we're going to explore this whole idea of who is clean and unclean before God and what makes us so. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. It says The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside And make a man unclean. And so, to find relevance in our day, we have to understand the ritual laws of that day. And according to the cleanliness laws, if you touched a dead animal or person, if you had an infectious skin disease like a boil or rashes or sores, if you came into contact with mildew or you had any kind of bodily discharge, or if you ate meat from an animal designated as unclean, you were considered ritually impure, or defiled, or stained, or unclean, which meant that you couldn't enter into the temple, and therefore you couldn't worship God with the community. Such tight boundaries seem harsh to us, but if, if we think about it, they're not as odd as they sound. Um Over the centuries, for example, people have fasted from food during seasons of prayer. Why? To help them develop a spiritual hunger for God. Also, another example, uh, people kneel for prayer. Isn't that uncomfortable? Probably, but it helps them develop a spiritual humility. Um, Similar to that, the washings and the efforts to stay clean and free from dirt and disease that were used by the religious people in Jesus' day were a type of visual aid that helped them to recognize that they were spiritually and morally unclean, that they couldn't enter the presence of God unless there was some kind of spiritual purification. In our day, it it could be compared to uh, when you have a meeting with someone important or Maybe you have a big date or an important job interview. And if that's the case, then you wash, you brush your teeth, you comb your hair. You you don't want a speck or stain on you. You don't want to smell bad. The cleanliness laws are, are similar to that idea. Spiritually, morally, unless you're clean, you don't want to be in the presence of a perfect and holy God. So what can we learn from this text about being clean and unclean before God? Well, we aren't used to seeing this, but the religious leaders and Jesus actually agree on something. They agree that we are all unclean before God. Jesus agreed that we are all unfit for the presence of God. But he disagreed with the religious leaders about how to address that. Verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. In other words, the problem is in us. It's not coming from outside of us. And so Jesus admits that we're unclean, that in our natural state we're unfit, for the presence of God. Now, people of our day, people of our world have a tendency to reject this idea because the cultural myth is that man is inherently good. And I can understand wanting to believe that. I mean, who would want to believe that we are inherently bad? So our world tells us, no, no, no. You're good. You're good. And if There even is a God, He's certainly not a holy, perfect God before whom we would stand guilty and condemned. What a terrible thought. And so the world says, no, 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 no. And yet, in our day, you'll notice that people still wrestle with deep feelings of shame and guilt. And if people are entirely honest, they would admit that we still struggle with, With our own feelings of inadequacy or guilt or shame. We may try to reject these categories of holy and unholy or clean and unclean, and yet secretly we feel and we know that we aren't acceptable. We feel we have to prove to ourselves and to other people that we are worthy, that we are lovable, that we are valuable. We can try to psychologize it. I mean, I can say, I have a complex. Or, you know, my parents didn't love me enough. Or a very popular one today. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I have self-esteem issues. All that may be true. But there's no escaping the fact that we all have this sense that we're unclean. And Jesus shows us here why we can't shake that sense of uncleanness. Verse 17. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Jesus' language is quite graphic here, and I certainly don't want to be inappropriate But he's saying that whether you eat clean or unclean food, it goes in your mouth and then down to your stomach and then it comes out of you. It never gets to the heart. So nothing that comes in from the outside makes us unclean. So where does the uncleanness come from? He went on, verse 20. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts... Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So, what's really wrong with the world? Because as we look at our world, we can't help but notice things are wrong. Why is there so much fighting between nations? Why do relationships fall apart? And the difficult answer to face that Jesus gives us here is that we are what is wrong. It's what comes out from the inside. It's the the self-centeredness of the human heart. It's sin. And so Jesus has just pointed out that our sin or our uncleanness comes from our heart. Not external things. Our uncleanness comes from our heart. We want to find solutions in external things. We, we badly do, because that means we don't have to deal with ourselves. Things outside of us. We want to blame our problems on things outside of us. And so we, we try to work from the outside in. But most of what causes our problems works from the inside out. And so we never shake totally this sense that we are unclean. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the line between good and evil... Passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. But instead of dealing with our hearts, we look for solutions from the outside. And so I want to, this morning, give you some examples of how we might do that. First of all, we could try to be good. And, and I think... We do this. Uh, We try to be good. We stay away from questionable movies, profanity, bad people, etc. If we pray and we read our Bibles and we try really hard to be good, then perhaps we think that God will see our worthiness and He will come in and heal our heart. The problem with that approach is that it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You never feel good enough. Though you've done your best to be good, your heart doesn't change. You're not filled with love and joy. You're actually more anxious because you don't know if you're good enough. And then when something goes wrong in your life, you'll immediately be thrown into doubt. You know, and you'll think things like, I thought I was living a good enough life. God, what, why did you let this happen? You see, your goodness hasn't gotten rid of your self justification or your self setterness or your, your self absorption at all because your heart hasn't changed. It's an outside in approach. That's one way we could try to deal with the, this sense of uncleanness. We could also look for solutions in the same way through politics. You know, if we just got the right people in office, if we could fix the social structures, if we could provide education, and I I think we should be involved in politics. I think we should try to get the best leaders in office. I'm not saying withdraw from that. Absolutely, take part in that. And there are indeed problems in our society and the social structures. We should be involved in that. But my point is that no system of government or presidential candidate will save us because politics... Again, can't change the human heart. It's another outside in approach. Or we might go to the world of popular culture. And if you go to the dentist or the doctor and you pick up a magazine, you can look at the celebrities. and, And the popular culture says to us Ah, here's a way to be clean be pretty, have flawless skin, change your look, get thin, look like a celebrity. But if you study the lives of celebrities, it doesn't take long to find out that they don't think their beauty has made them acceptable. And the rest of us feel even worse because we can't come close to them. It's another outside in approach that doesn't work. Now, some of you might be thinking okay, Mark, this this is all probably very true. But you know what? I don't look to popular culture, I don't look to politics. I don't even look to good works to find my worth. I wouldn't do that, okay? So, good point, Pastor, but let's move on. But I do believe that we all are trying to cleanse ourselves in some way. I think we we are. We may not even be aware. And to illustrate that, let me pick on some people who are in Christian ministry, since I'm one of them. Uh, I, I know these people. Why do people go into a life of ministry? Noble motivations, hopefully, right? Well, a few years ago, I read a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and he was speaking to a group of ministers, and he said, don't preach the gospel in order to save your soul. And I thought, what kind of idiot would try to save his soul By preaching the gospel. That didn't connect with me at all. Well then years later, after being in this for a while, I began to realize that if your church does well and it grows, people like you, you feel inappropriately good about yourself. And if your church doesn't do well and people may not really like you, you feel inappropriately bad about yourself. And you begin to realize, I'm working from the outside in. This isn't right. You'd assumed, if people like me and they say, oh, how much you help me, then God will like you and will like yourself. And then that sense of inadequacy or uncleanness will go away. But I want to tell you, it doesn't. It doesn't. So so all of us, whether we realize it or not, we sense this inadequacy or this uncleanness and we try to cover it or try to make up for it in one way or another. But it will not work. And I want you to know that as my friends. It will not work, this outside-in approach. The prophet Jeremiah puts this very clearly. In Jeremiah 2.22, he says, Although you wash yourself with soda and use an abundance of soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Sovereign Lord. And so outside-in cleansing cannot deal with the problem of the human heart. So what do we do? Well, in verse 19, notice Mark makes an incredible editorial comment. He says, In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Notice he doesn't say that the cleanliness laws are now an outdated idea or that the disciples didn't have to worry so much about food. It doesn't read that Jesus said all foods were clean or that he gave his opinion. It says, Jesus declared all foods are clean. And so Jesus is saying, as of now, I make these foods clean. I called the world into being. I called Jairus' daughter back from death. If you read uh, chapter 5, I did that, Jesus says. And now I call all foods clean. How can he do such a thing? In another scripture, Jesus says that he has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So he's not abolishing the cleanliness laws here, but he's saying they have been fulfilled. That their purpose to get you to move towards spiritual purification has been carried out. So the reason you don't have to follow them as you once did is that they've been fulfilled. What an incredible thing to say. How could that be? Well, let's come back to the Day of Atonement. Remember all the preparation the priest went through to be clean. Zechariah has a vision of the high priest Joshua on the Day of Atonement in Zechariah chapter 3. Joshua, the high priest, has bathed three times. He's changed clothes and the people are cheering him on as their representative. And on the Day of Atonement, great care was taken to make sure that when the high priest was before God, there wasn't a speck on him. He was as pure as pure can be. And only if you understand this do you realize why the next lines of prophecy in Zechariah 3 are so shocking. Because Zechariah sees Joshua, the high priest, in a vision, standing before the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, But Joshua's garments are covered in excrement. He's absolutely defiled. And Zechariah couldn't believe his eyes. This would have been shocking for the Jews to read. How could this have happened? Well, God was giving Zechariah prophetic visions so that he could see us the way that God sees us. In spite of all of our efforts to be pure, to be good, to be moral, to cleanse ourselves, God sees that our hearts are full of filth. And Zechariah suddenly realized that no matter what we do, we're unfit for the presence of God. But just when he was about to despair in Zechariah 3 verse 4, the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. And then in verses 8 and 9, Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant, the branch, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Zechariah probably couldn't believe his ears. So much time was spent obeying the cleanliness laws, and he sees that no amount of effort can really make us clean. But God was saying, Zechariah, this is a prophecy. Someday the sacrifices will be over. The cleanliness laws will be fulfilled. How can that be? Well, centuries later, another Joshua showed up. Another Yeshua. Jesus. Jesus. Yeshua, Joshua, it's the same name in Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew. Another Joshua showed up, and he staged his own day of atonement. One week beforehand, Jesus began to prepare. But the night before, he didn't go to sleep. But what happened to him was exactly the reverse of what happened to Joshua, the high priest. Because instead of cheering him on, nearly everyone he loved betrayed and abandoned or denied him. And as he stood before God, instead of receiving words of encouragement, the Father forsook him. Instead of being clothed in rich garments, he was stripped of the only garment he had. He was beaten and he was killed. Why? Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so God clothed Jesus in our sin. He took our penalty, our punishment, so that we, like Joshua the high priest, can be cleansed and given pure linen, perfectly clean. And so my last point this morning is that only Jesus can make us clean. Only Jesus can make us clean. Hebrews 13 says that Jesus was crucified outside the gate where bodies are burned, the garbage heap, a place of absolute uncleanliness, so that we can be made clean. Through Jesus Christ, at infinite cost to himself, God has clothed us in clean garments. It cost him his blood, and it's the only thing that can deal with the problem of your heart. And so this morning I want to ask you, are you living with a specific failure in your past that you feel guilty about? Are you trying so hard to be clean and pure and yet this feeling of inadequacy inadequacy still dogs you? If so, have hope. We have hope. Maybe you're fighting a sense of inadequacy. You might be doing good works, or maybe you're seeking it through politics or beauty, or maybe even through Christian ministry. You're trying to be good enough for God so that He will be pleased with you. Doing, doing, doing from the outside in. And I want to tell you this morning, it will not work. It won't. And so my encouragement to you is, is to cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet, to stand in Him and in Him alone, gloriously complete.